Shalom and welcome. We are so excited to have you here tonight with us. My name is Petey and welcome to the live Q&A's. We do these periodically and it's always a blast to do these with you all. Uh, today we're going to be looking at questions that many of you went to send in in-depth questions and we're going to go through them tonight. Some of the questions we are going to be looking at here tonight is God's judgment on nations and on people and how we ought to respond to that. What it means to bind on earth as it is in heaven, how to love wartime enemies, methods of deliverance, how to grow in spiritual gifts, whether we will see our pets in heaven and many more questions just like those. And last disclaimer before we begin, I'm just a man. I am relying on the Holy Spirit tonight and I trust that he is going to guide me. I pray that he guides me. But everything I say, I invite you to go to the scriptures, to study yourself approved and to get to the bottom of it with your relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. All right. But anyway, let's let's go right into it. So the first questions are to do with with, I guess, the, the current events in this world right now. And that is the wars and rumors of wars and how should we as believers respond? Now, this is uh, sent in by Brandon from Grand Junction, Colorado, and he asks the following over and over. We see in scripture the discipline of Yah to those whom he loves generations who become idle, forget him, forget to teach their children, fall into idolatry, rebel, lose the law or God's instructions. Then they come to then comes prophets. Prophets give a warning to repent before a coming judgment. Then we see typically repentance. The law is found again. They turn back to God. They return to his instructions until the cycle basically repeats again. So how do we look at a passage like Judges chapter three and God leaving those nations to test them, especially in regards to today? Has he changed? Some of the videos we've seen recent weeks sadly show people in the desert with a giant idol portrayed in the background. I stand with Israel and our future inheritance. However, Yah is a jealous El and will allow and or bring whatever is necessary to get his sheep to return to him. Are we seeing modern spiritual discipline? Can this discipline of God also then come upon America? Right, Brandon, brother, thank you for sending that in. I appreciate it. It's a good question. So I I want to get right into the the crutch of the matter here. Uh, of course, right? Biblically speaking, you know, Brandon, what you said is, is is true that there is a pattern we see with Israel in biblical history where God is calling them to repentance. They come to repentance and then then they, they fall away again. And, and this happens over generations and generations. And then and it's not just with Israel. It's, it's a humanity issue. And so God is so loving, full of mercy and grace for his people that, well, first of all, he hasn't abandoned humanity yet. We're still here. In fact, he drew closer. He came to die for the sins of humanity, for us to have a once and for all chance to be cleansed, to be changed and to not enter this cycle over and over again, but to be permanently transformed. That is what Christ has come to do for us. But in the world, we still see those who haven't found him have, have t- certainly the cycle and his sovereign discipline is absolutely still evident. And he he does that because of his love. So first off, we have to recognize that God's judgment 
and God's discipline is not for humanity, for fellow brothers and sisters, right? Us to, to use that as a pointing of the finger as look, look, look. Look, if we look at the biblical example, right, and I'm, I'm going to highlight this because this is the default reaction of people sometimes is, is we want to use God's judgment as our justification to play God sometimes. Let me read to you Luke chapter 13 here. And uh, we read here in verse uh, 1 to 2. We see there were some present at that time very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Okay, so terrible things were done against these Galileans. And he, Yeshua, answered, say, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or what about those 18 on whom this Tower of Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Isn't that interesting how Yeshua is, when they, they're bringing to him, what about this person? What about that people? Is God judging them? Yeshua comes and he says, be careful. You will too likewise perish unless you repent. He's basically telling them, be careful of looking at others more than you're looking at yourself. Because you and your fallen nature have made yourself worthy of the same things that have come upon them. We really, we think of ourselves as good somehow. But as Yeshua said, there is no one that is good but his Father who is in heaven. So let us not confuse ourselves and think that we are somehow good. We are somehow God. Effectively is what we do. But we have to remember who we are and who he is. That we are not good. He is. That he is the judge and we are not. But we can, as Brandon very well uh, stated, we can realize the reality of God's discipline that is because of his love. But what is our reaction towards that discipline? And that judgment. That's the question. I will remind you of Moses. When you know, Brandon mentioned um, a, um, let me just make, get the words right. He said that there was a, an idol, a pagan idol in the desert, right? So he, he, was, he was talking about in Israel, there were people at a music festival who had a, uh, a image of a false god there at a music festival and, and so on. So, that's that's classic, right? So now we see Israel right after they receive the as they receive the commandments, you know, they're building the golden calf, an idol. And what is Moses' response? His response is he gets angry, of course. He he has the righteous anger of God well up in him, but he goes to the Father and he says, God, do not destroy them. If you blot if you kill them, if you you need to blot my name out of the book of life as well. So Moses is willing to lay down his own salvation for the sake of these pagan idol worshipers. And so I'm saying, let's be sure that our response to people sinning and even if they are being judged. And I'm not saying they are, by the way, I am way too. I'm slow to do such a thing. I'm slow to to call, make that call because I believe he's the one who makes that call. And what my job is, is to pray and intercede for their salvation. 
for me to be a light, however I can be a light. And to ask, oh, Lord, have mercy on their souls as you've had mercy on mine. I was lost and and they're lost. I was found. Let them be found. And uh, then I would also then uh, also remind everyone of Luke 954, because this is something that the disciples uh, battled as well. And they had the same or not the same. They had an idea that they wanted to do. It says, and when his disciples, James and John saw this, that is the Samaritans who didn't, who rejected the Messiah. They said, Lord, will you that will thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elijah did? Right. So. Look at what Yeshua says. He turned and rebuked them, saying, you don't know what manner of spirit you are of. Wow, that is a harsh rebuke. He is saying to them that what you are trying to do right now, you by your, um, you know, you've got knowledge, you've got truth in you, but you're trying to use that as your authority to bring about judgment upon these people when that is God's role. He if if fire is going to come down from heaven, let it be the father who decides to do that. He did it with Sodom and Gomorrah, but it wasn't mankind who did it. Remember what Abraham's response was, father, if there is a few in that town, let them be let let them be saved. Right. That is our response. And then lastly, before I move on, last thing I'll say on this. This is such a good meaty question, Brandon. Thanks for sending it in, is that the the, the historic judgments that have come upon Israel have never been a sign that God is abandoning them. Many people today are looking at Israel. Look at all the evils happening in Israel. Yes, there's many evils in Israel. There is there's pagan worshipers who live there. There is uh, per, perhaps a government who that is, as we know, secular and who would act like we could expect such a government to act. These are all expected things. But that doesn't has never meant that God abandons the promises of Israel. And secondly, we should be careful to not generalize the people of Israel as all of them being evil pagan worshipers or such. Now, of course, Brandon, you did not do this, but some people in this whole situation has absolutely been doing this with everything in them when we don't know much about a different nation uh, across the pond. It is so easy to generalize, have assumptions about those people whom we don't truly understand, putting them, painting them all with the same brush. Let's not be guilty of that error and let us have the mercy and grace of Yeshua upon them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Let's pray for their salvation. Amen. Right. Great question, Brandon. Thank you for setting that in. I hope that helps. So let's go to the uh, next one here. This is a question from someone who wished to remain anonymous from Peora, Illinois. And the question is regarding how God uh, expects of us to love our enemies in wartime. What if they are people who are trying to kill us? Right. From the scripture, it seems very clear that we are expected to turn the other cheek and graciously respond to an enemy attacking. Yet we see some who, without question, defend retaliation towards an enemy. 
We see war and defense in war and even offensive responses. I don't know what I'm missing in order to understand and clarify what the Lord would expect us to do. How far does the command to love our enemy go in light of war? Okay, thank you for sending this in. I... I have to unpack some of this in Matthew chapter 5 for us all to understand really what what God is saying here. Because the context reveals to us uh, an important lesson, but it's oftentimes misunderstood. Let's read what he said. I'm going to switch to this for us all. All right. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. And if anyone would sue you, take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, let him go within two miles and give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Okay, now, first off, let's before we we figure out what this all means, we need to figure out what the Torah is actually what is Yeshua quoting here? You have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If you don't understand that statement, you will misunderstand all of the rest of what he's saying. So that statement, an eye for an eye, all right, in the Torah, it is it has to do with um, equal restitution. It is a legal term because while well, the Torah is a, a legal document, the law of God and it is when you do harm, like in, in this world, we, we apply this right in our justice systems. What we do is we say, if someone um, drove into my car and it's their fault, then they need to pay restitution to make my car whole again. Right. And if someone got hurt in that car accident, then they need to pay the medical expenses and perhaps even the the other damages that occurred for because that person could no longer work the way they used to work. And and so, so restitution and, and even more importantly, equal restitution is something that the Torah, that the Bible brings us. That's why we have in our legal system today. And it is equal because eye for an eye. That's what that means. In other words, not less. Also, not there's a limit, not, not more, but an eye for an eye. You need to be re- responsible for the damage that you have caused to someone else. And usually this is a financial restitution, like in a car accident, we would expect someone to pay financial restitution, but not always. If in some cases with some laws in the Torah, there is uh, if and in in modern law, if someone murders someone else, in some cases, they may receive a death penalty, right? So then their life will be taken because they took the life of another. So in that case, Life for life. That's what hap- what's happening there. So we see this concept today. But what Christ, what Yeshua is trying to teach now with all that he is saying, right? He's, he's talking, he's saying, you've heard that, but I say to you this. And, he, and let, me, let me remind you, he says, don't re- resist the one who's evil. If anyone slaps you in the right cheek, turn to him the other. Also, if anyone would sue you, now, now, interesting. Look at that. Sue you. That's a that is a financial. You know, we sue people for typically financial um, restitution. But he's saying if someone's suing you and he's taking something, let, let him have even more. 
And he says, if someone forces you to go one mile, go from two miles. Now, the reason he's saying one mile and two miles is that's what the in the first century, the Roman soldiers in the day could require you, uh, anyone, a bystander to carry a load free of charge for a mile. So basically, this is also a you need to give free labor if someone is forcing you to give it to them. Uh, and then he says, give to the one who begs from you. This is also a financial just give to them. Be a, be a blessing. Do not refuse to them. Refuse them. Now, why is Christ saying all of this? Because we, he has revealed to us the incredible sacrifice and what he has offered us. See, he did not treat us expecting equal restitution from us. Think about it. If he required equal, if he applied the Torah commandment, an eye for an eye to me and to you, we would be in big trouble because we would have to be cut off from the father because we have sinned. We have, have we not murdered in our heart? Have we not lied? Have we not stolen? Have we not committed adulteries? The list goes on forever. If he treated us eye for an eye, we would have to inherit death. But because he decided to not, but to offer mercy and forgiveness, that is why we can escape death. And now he is saying, because I've done this for you, I did not apply the law towards you to condemn you. I instead have provided mercy. So now I expect of you to give mercy to people in the world around you. The way that I treated you, you now have to treat others. That is what I expect of you. So that is what an eye for an eye. You've heard it said, but now I say to you, treat others with mercy. All right. So we see then that this, I hope that you can start to listen here that this is not really to do with self-defense. Turning the other cheek does not mean uh, someone is coming to murder you and you don't have a right to defend yourself against that. Or someone is coming to invade your country and enslave you and you should you're not allowed to defend yourself or your country. And that's what wars are sparked by usually. Uh, And so. This is an issue that is supposed to be worked out in a legal system. This is a an issue that's not. This is an instruction that's not given to a a, a wartime issue, but rather to people having quarrels with one another. And so now, when you to answer the question, right? Because the question was really then, how far does the command to love our enemy go in wartime then? And we can think of some practical examples. And there are some of these things that are actually already implemented in much of the conventions we have today. We have a Geneva Convention, for example, which says that you should have kindness to an extent, you know, as far as possible, to a prisoner of war. You should have kindness to innocent life in the midst of war, preserving them as far as possible. And that's a very complicated and difficult thing to do, by the way, because civilian casualties are an an unavoidable part of war, unfortunately. However, to walk in love in a war in wartime is to prevent civilian casualties as absolutely far as possible. 
Another thing that the Torah gives is kindness to people who are draftees, who are about to be going into war, but who have new wives, who have just built a new house, or who have just planted a vineyard. Right? This is in Deuteronomy 20, verse 5. He's he's saying if you've just done something in life that has that is about to bring forth great fruit, and you, or you haven't had the chance to enjoy it yet, then you're allowed to escape the draft and you should go and enjoy that part of life and you don't have the requirement to partake in the war. Now, of course, we live in a, a society that's secular and that do not apply all of these. I'm just telling you that this is some of the heart of the Father expressed in his instructions uh, in wartime. I'll give one more example and this is in terms of we should give our enemies, even if, if we're a soldier in war or something like that, we sh- or we have enemies that we get in contact with, we should always give them a drink, Have try our best to show them mercy and love uh, whenever a wartime moment allows that. Now, let me give you one example. Uh, this is uh, I'm going to read this story here. Briefly, during the Battle of the Hartgen Forest, an American soldier was wounded in a minefield in a no man's land between the American and German lines. He was crying for help, but there was no U.S. units around to hear him. Instead, a German lieutenant, Friedrich Lengfeld, gave orders to his men to not shoot any Americans who wanted to potentially come and rescue this soldier. But then no U.S. troops eventually came. Hours later, he, the German lieutenant, decided to go and rescue the American soldier himself. He's going to rescue an enemy in the middle of a minefield who got wounded there. But it says, but while he was approaching the soldier to help him, he stepped on a mine and died. It is not known what happened to the American soldier. This is an example of a person helping another despite being enemies in conflict. And so that's a beautiful story. And that love that we should should come out of believers as far as possible. There's many other stories such as this. I believe that in war, this is one of the most difficult times when where we should really pray and seek the Holy Spirit's guidance for us personally on how can we work out our love for our enemies. All right. So I hope that helps you very much Uh, out. I I I think it's important for us to understand what Yeshua was saying in Matthew chapter five. All right, let's go on to the next one over here. Uh, and I'm going to go to this next question, which is to do with the name. And it's also sent from someone who's anonymous from Mansfield. And they're saying the following. I've been mulling over this feeling. There is more to this verse than how it reads. If my people who are called by my name, Yes, we quote this often, they say. We seem to know that my people refers to God's people, but the part who are called by my name, would that have a deeper meaning? For example, Yah, Yahuda. Today we say Christ followers are Christians. So the part that says my name, would it have more meaning than I simply read? Okay, so the question is basically... What does it mean if my people are called by my name? What does the what does my name mean? Now, uh, brothers and sisters, this is something that's really as old as time. A principle that I want to 
express to you. When we talk about the name of someone back then and unto today, it refers to authority. For example, we say in the name of Yeshua, we pray that at the end of our prayers often. We see that when demons are cast out in the name of Yeshua, when the sick are healed in the name of Yeshua, rise up and walk right in the name of why? Because the authority is in the name. Not, and the name is not the pronunciation. It's not the spelling. It's not the it's the name of a person refers to the identity of the person. Now, I'm not saying a name does not have meaning. It absolutely does. I'm not saying a name isn't important. I'm Absolutely, it is. And I'm not saying it's not important to understand the name of our God. Absolutely, it is. But his name refers to his authority. For example, even in just this world, if I came to a car dealership and I'm like, I'm going to come and I'm coming in the name of my father, my earthly father, and I'm going to I want him I want to buy a car for him. And maybe I have a power of attorney where he signed his name on saying that he gives me authority to come in his name and do a transaction. Right. This is we all can understand this. Uh, we see that at a marriage, the, it is often proclaimed by the power vested in me, right? By the whatever, right? State of Tennessee, by a name. There, there, there is investment of authority, investment of power that comes from a name that we call upon that has given us authority to, to go and do an action. So let me give you one more example. Uh, John 5 verse 43, we see Yeshua speaking and he says, I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Right. So he is saying that the reason that he has authority to be received to as the Messiah, of uh, who he says he is, it is because he is coming in the name of his father, that his father has sent him, given him authority to do what he is supposed to do. But he's saying there's other people who who comes in his own name. In other words, it's not that the authority of God rests on that other person. He's just he he's, it's just his own name that rests on him. And him, he says, you you easily receive. Yeshua is simply making a point there. So. I want to submit to you then just in this same manner when we're reading, if my people who are called by my name, God is saying, I have called you, my people, by my name. I have called you by my authority, by my power, by my redemption to come out and repent and walk in the callings that I have for you. And so, yes, he has a name and that's important. But I think that the essence of what he is, what he is saying when he is talking about coming in the name of the father is it is about the one who has given him the authority to go and do the works of him who sent him. Right. I hope that that helps. Thank you so much for sending in that question. I really appreciate it. All right. We're going to go into the next one now. And this has to do with the keys of the kingdom 
from someone who wished to remain anonymous. And this is the question. Hi, Petey. Has God perhaps revealed to you the full meaning of this text? I've heard quite a few of interpretations, which some I feel have some truth in them, but I've never got this sense that I heard the full spiritual meaning and practical application thereof. I'd love to hear your take on this text. Okay, this text is Matthew 18, verse 18. Okay, and he says this, Truly I tell you, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Right. This is a really cool one. I, I love this question. So I think what's important is for us to get there's, there's a quite a few scriptures that actually deal with this subject. Uh, w- one of the first ones is in Matthew chapter 16, and I'll just read it for us here. 16 verse 19. And he says, I will give you. OK, this is speaking to Peter. Yeshua saying, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, this is interesting. What are the keys to the kingdom of heaven? All right, now, if you think about what, what does that key give you access to? You could probably think that it's well, it's access to the things of heaven. Now, what are the things of heaven that is being given to Peter here? And that is really answered in that very chapter, you know, I believe it, that was quote uh, we just quoted from in the context. So we see, for example, in Matthew 18, verse 17. And I'm just going to read here. He says, if he refuses, he's talking about a brother sinning against another. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let it be, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my father in heaven. Okay, so this is interesting. So we are seeing now, first off, authority laid out here that if someone sins against you, follow the authority structure of the church and what Yeshua has given. First, go to the person who sinned against you. If they don't listen to you, go and take to one or two others with you so that there's witnesses. And if they don't tell it to the church. So there's there's an involvement slowly of more people, people in authority, even people who are leaders in the fellowship would have to be involved in the beginning of, of a dispute. And then he he says, if you follow this process, then you're going, you're going to be binding on earth what is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In other words, because you follow the biblical protocol, you have the authority of God to do this, to put someone out of a church, in this case, for example, to let him be to you as a gentle and a tax collector. And then he says, the reason that this authority is granted to you is if two of you agree about anything, it will be done by my father in heaven. In other words, if you follow the biblical protocols, if you in unity with other people, and that's that's key here because people want to do things alone. 
They want to do things apart from following the biblical authority structures involving uh, perhaps elders, spiritual authorities around us, other people. And he's saying that I have given these authorities and these structures and these protocols for your edification. That is why Peter, the leader of the church, was given the keys to the kingdom. Right? So he was given that authority and he and now we are being reminded of that and that we continue to uh, to follow and respect that authority that God continues to give us. Now, let me g- give some more examples because this it doesn't just have to do with the authority in terms of leadership. It's, it's so much more. This is just the beginning. This is only really what Matthew 18 is about. But let's look at some more. Luke 10 verse verse 7. We see here uh, 17. All right, we see here in verse 17, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Right. So isn't this amazing? Right. Like he is saying you or they are realizing we have been given access to the things of heaven, the authority from heaven to cause out demons. And he, that's why he's saying Satan fell from heaven. That's why you have now received heavenly authority to cast him out on earth. Think about that. Let me say that again. Satan fell from heaven, but I have given you the keys to the kingdom so that you will have authority and the things of heaven, that is the authority, to cast Satan out as he does works on earth. So whatever you are binding on earth is bound in heaven and vice versa. So that is in this example, for example, how this is applied. Let's look at another example. Uh, Matthew 10 verse 7. Proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, right? Cast out demons, you receive without paying, give without pay. Another example of him giving access to heavenly things, because none of these things are possible to do by earthly means. They are only possible by heavenly means. If you need the keys to the kingdom, if you will, you need access to the Holy Spirit and the authority that comes by the name, as we discussed earlier, of Yeshua, so that you can do these things on earth, binding on earth by that heavenly authority. Let's now look at last example, John 20, verse 21. And we see this. Yeshua said to them, peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Interesting, same language. The Father who is in heaven has sent me from heaven to earth to come to you. And now I, who have come from heaven, I am now sending you on earth to do the things of heaven. And when he said this, he breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit, that spirit which is from heaven. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you have all the forgiveness of any, it is withheld. Oh, wow. Well, look at that. That is something that... Many people don't understand, like, what is he saying here? This is crazy. 
is he serious? Like, this is one of those verses where it's like, are you serious, Yeshua? Are you, do you really mean what you're saying here? Wow, yes, he does. Because he's given us the Holy Spirit, that God comes himself to live inside of us, that this vessel, this temple becomes holy unto the Lord. And he gives us heavenly authority to do his work on earth, just like Yeshua. Remember, he's saying, as I was sent, so I'm sending you, he says. So in other words, his authority uh, um, in terms of his mission to proclaim the gospel and do and heal the sick, cleanse the lepers and so on. He gives that to us. Now, let me give you an example of how we can forgive the sins and they're forgiven. Or if we forgive, if we withhold forgiveness, they're withheld. Now, there's a few examples I can give you, um, but I'll, I'll give you this one. Matthew 10, verse 14. And this is the last that I'll read here. So he says, and if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So Yeshua is saying here that ultimately when you are rejected, it is like they reject God because the Holy Spirit who is from heaven lives in you and they reject him. Therefore, God, who is in heaven and who is the one who brings judgment from heaven, will bring a judgment upon these people who have rejected you. And it will be worse for them than for, as it was for Sodom and Gomorrah. And Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed from heaven. OK, so this is an example of how if we are if we shake off the dust from our feet, in other words, we say, well, then let your rejection come back upon you that he says, I give you authority to do that if you so desire. And I will he God is saying, I will come and bring the judgment about on those people because they rejected you because you're the one I sent as in the same way they rejected the Messiah. And I came to judge those who would reject him. So this is crazy. It's incredible. And one last example I'll give, this is just like a can of worms, isn't it? But it's it's so amazing and, and interesting. Last example I'll give is that the when he is saying that if you forgive the sins of others, uh, they are forgiven. If you uphold forgiveness, it's withheld. Yeshua also said in another place, what's the difference for me to say, be healed or be forgiven when they question whether he has the authority to forgive sins? In other words, for him to heal the sick was him forgiving the sins. That's the point he was making. And so when we heal the sick, in other words, there are cases where as we are actually healing the sins of people, healing, forgiving the sins of others, thereby God forgives them because sometimes healing needs to come because someone sinned. Yeshua said in another place, go and sin no more lest something worse comes upon you. So sin can cause infirmities and by us praying for healing and and uh, casting out sickness by definition we are forgiving them and their sins and this is not that we are playing god this is not that we are um we of course not nothing like that but it is yeshua coming and saying i have now come to give you the authority that my father by his holy spirit has allowed me to work in 
by healing the sick. And I allow that same authority to rest on you so you can go in my name and do the same works that I have done. So this is a lot. I know it's a lot. Think about all I said. Pray about all I said. Uh, go read some of these scriptures again. Rewind this video. Listen to me again, perhaps. I know that's a lot if you've never heard this before. But go and, and, and listen carefully and you'll see that what Yeshua has for you and the amazing power of the Holy Spirit and the authority that comes with that, that he has left for you. That's a great responsibility that we should take very seriously, that we should not abuse and that we should walk humbly before our Lord and men with. All right. I hope that answered your question. Thanks for sending that one in. Okay. Cool. So let's go to the next one. And this one is from Jose. Thank you, Jose, for sending this one in. He says, oh, and this is about what, what Yeshua said on money. And the question is this, why don't modern Christians obey Matthew 6, verse 24? Okay, let me go there. Uh, Yeshua states that you cannot work for God and money. Yet everyone seems to want to work for money. Okay, that's the question. And, and this is the uh, the verse that he's that's being brought up here. No one can serve two masters, for you will either hate the one and, and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Right, absolutely. So the question is, is Yeshua states you cannot work for God and money, yes, Surely uh, he is saying you cannot serve God and money. Okay, so technically he's not saying you cannot work for money like, because in a technical, you know, we just need to define what we mean by words, right? Like, so we all should work for money. We should not expect money without laboring. We all should work and labor. It's part of the call that Paul said we all have to look after our households. But yes... Yes, absolutely. Like Yeshua is, is saying, we should not serve God and money. Okay, so serving means that you are uh, well. Like it is, it has it has dominion over you, right? So let's look at the context of this 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 uh, leading up to this verse and see what he's saying. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Lay up treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys, where not thieves don't break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And uh, then he also says, um, um, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eyes healthy, your whole body will be full, full of light. Now this is a, a statement that has to do also with what we just read here earlier. It is about uh, generosity. So to have an eye that is healthy means that you're generous. That's a Hebrew idiom, actually. And so he's saying when you're generous, your whole body will be full of light. Isn't that awesome? So he's saying generosity is going to be one of the things that indicates whether you are a whether money has mastered you and whether treasures on earth has mastered you because if you cannot give away money then you don't own the money the money owns you if 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 you can't give away a possession whenever god calls you 
then you don't own the possession, it owns you. That's why Yeshua was giving the, rest, the, the rich young ruler the mandate to give away because his heart was being ruled. He, you didn't own his possessions, his possessions owned him. He was enslaved to his money and his many possessions. And so that is why he is saying, be generous, because being generous means, well, like, here's the thing, if, if you feel like money has a hold on you, give it away. You feel like your possession has a hold on you, give it away. Right? Like, if there's something that, that has become your master, give it away. Be careful. You cannot, you cannot serve two masters, as he said. And so, uh, this is the uh, the crutch of it, I think, as well. Uh, Colossians 3, verse 23, he says, Whatever you do, work heartily. Right? So we can work. We should work. As for the Lord, not for men. So whatever we do, we yes, you can work for an employer. Absolutely. But you work as if you're working unto the Lord. You know, even if you're working for a secular boss, God, everything I'm doing at my job, I'm going to do work hard. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be a good example. And I'm doing it all to your glory because I know that I'm an image bearer of you. Right? So that's, that's what he is saying there. So Yeshua warns earthly treasures can distract our hearts away from the Father. And we need to be careful as to what we give our heart too. Right. So I hope that that helps. And then there's also this next follow up related question. And it is why don't modern Christians take Luke 14 33 literally? Yeshua states that you must renounce your possessions to become a Christian. So does that mean we aren't Christians if we don't obey his commandments, at least according to what Jesus says it takes to be a disciple? Okay. So what's Luke 14 uh, 33? It is, let's pull it up, and we read it here. So therefore, any any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So the question is, should we not be taking this literally, renouncing all that we have? And does this mean that we should literally sell every possession, everything we own? Otherwise, we can't be his disciple, right? Um, now, th this is the question is, is what does it mean to renounce all that he has? What does that, that statement mean? The only way we could know is if we read earlier. Let's read from verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brother, or sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Okay, so first off, this, of course, is not him literally saying, hate your parents. You know, hate your wife. I, I don't think God wants me to hate my wife. He's making a, a deeper point. And the point is illustrated in Matthew 10, 37, where he says the same thing. He says, whoever that loves father, mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son, daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Right. So it's about you should when he, he's using language here about he's using hate because this is a um, a language to illustrate how much you should love God compared to wife and children and parents. You should love God so much. You should um, be so sacrificial towards him so much more 
than anyone and anything else in your life. That is what it means to hate your own life. Everything you have, anything you own, it's to renounce it in that way before the Lord. In other words, like the rich young ruler we just talked about, who had to sell because that was what ruled him. So if Yeshua comes to you and says, give this up, give this away, and he will, and he does. He does that with all of us. He will with all of us to different degrees. When he comes and asks you to do something like that, you must immediately be able to do that without question. Move across the country, move to the city, do this, do that, give up this, give up that, sell this, give this to this poor man. If he's telling you to do something, you have to do it. Otherwise, you are not acting like a disciple. You have to let leave everything behind that he calls you to leave behind. Um, and so this is this is what he is talking about. He is not talking about literally that no one is allowed to own anything. He is saying that nothing is supposed to own us, that we are supposed to uh, pick up our cross, follow him and lay everything down for him. And everything we do own, and this is the last thing I'll say, is everything we do own in terms of possessions is really ideally supposed to be a tool for the kingdom of God. Right? You, you own a vehicle to bring about the kingdom of God wherever you go. You own a home so you can raise your children or you know, uh, operate from that base for the kingdom of God to go forth in that manner. You, everything you own, you, you own a fishing pole because that's your hobby to go fishing so that when you go fishing, that is your time to also spend with the father and enjoy his presence. See, everything we own can be, can be to his glory or it can be for our, for, for selfishness, for our own gains, for other reasons. Ask yourself, what I have, is this for the glory of God? Because everything we do, everything we think on, as it says in Philippians, it should be unto the glory of God. It should be all that is good. All right. So thank you so much, Jose, for sending those in. That's, those are good questions. And I hope that that helps answer them for you. All right. Let's go on to the next one here. Okay. This one is to do with deliverance from Sheena. And it is said then, do you believe in deliverance and that there is a process and steps to follow? Intense prayers, intercession, manifestations like us being mainstreamed on social media and so on now. Or can we be delivered simply through the word of God, repentance or intercession by a loved one? Okay, that's a really good question. So the answer is both. <laughs> the answer is there can be a process. And what I mean by process is, is sometimes sometimes deliverance comes in the way that you described, simply through a word of God, repentance or intercession by a loved one, um, simply by even coming to God, by repenting, being baptized, all that. There, I actually think, Perhaps even arguably, most deliverance comes in that manner, because when we are um, in the world and we meet Yeshua and we are in bondage to all of the heaps of things of the world, 
We receive a ton of deliverance in the beginning of our walk when we come to him. And then sometimes there are remaining traumas uh, of our past, perhaps even um, demonic oppressions that's in our life because of our past in witchcraft or anything we've indulged in. Uh, and, so, and, and other things, really deeper things that require deeper intervention. We see that Yeshua... As Jesus was walking throughout the earth, there were people who were simply called repentance and they did repent and they were healed. They were set free and they were delivered. And there are others who needed intervention. There are people who came to him and like the one I just read this today where the child was brought and said, my child jumps into the fire. Like the demon wants to cause the child to to commit suicide. That is something that's biblical. And when you, it says that when Yeshua casted out those demons, there was foaming at the mouth. There was they were coming out with screams and loud cries. That's what it says in the Bible. Okay, this was a pretty much a spectacle in terms of like wow, like this is crazy. This is you know when I use the word spectacle, I mean this is this is a, a, a something that astonished people, and it was outward. It was a manifestation. And so that is a very biblical thing. And we should not we shouldn't scoff at that. I, I, I'm not saying, of course, the question or I'm not saying Sheena did, but but some people do scoff at that. And we should be careful because that is absolutely biblical. There are times when demons will manifest and will need to be casted out. And until they are, they will stay. They will not leave because certain things comes out but by prayer and fasting, as Yeshua said. And why did he say that? Right? He told that to his disciples who were trying to cast out a demon. They failed because of their unbelief. And he then came and he casted out the demon. He literally came and casted out the demon and says, you need to pray and fast so you can get rid of your unbelief so that you can cast out the demon. And he says, they won't come out but by this process. So there is a place for a process. There is a place for more simple deliverance. And both happen every day. And we should be equipped to handle both because Demons are all around us. We can't ignore and act like that's not a reality and that that's not something that's afflicting many, many people in this world. So absolutely, we should be equipped to deal with it. We should study ourselves approved. We should pray. We should intercede. We should fast. We should pray. We should ask God to teach us. And that's why we talk about it a lot, to teach you and equip you in deliverance. That is important. Right. So let's uh, go on. Next question regarding pets in heaven, right, from Lisa. And this is a, she's from, I don't even know how to pronounce where you're from. Shnohimish, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce where you're from. I've never actually uh, heard of that place. So anyway, cool. <laughs> My South African tongue here is struggling, guys, have mercy. All right, um, right let's get to the question. My dog Rosie recently passed away and I've been pretty sad about the situation. And I'm wondering if I will see her again after I pass on. 
The Bible doesn't say anything concrete about it. And I'm hoping you have gleaned some insight into this. Many thanks and blessings. Now, well, firstly, I want to say, like, seriously, that is, I'm so sorry. Uh, we actually have, uh, my parents uh, have a, a, a doggy whose name was Rosie, who just passed away also a couple of months ago. So uh, that is that is very sad. And we've had pets, uh, many pets before. And, and, you know, it's so awesome how God has given us pets. Let me just say that. And how uh, animals. And that is a blessing from above. And I, I'm going to open some scripture here in a moment about that. But, but let me say this before I do. God loves his creation. He loves animals. He made animals. He's given them to us in our care, just like he gave them to Adam and Eve. That's the pattern. Adam and Eve was supposed to rule over the garden. And so that being said, the scriptures are silent on whether pets will like our pets are our animals that we have in this life, in this world right now. It's silent as to whether they will be the same um, spirits. In other words, they, the, the spirit of that pet will be the same one that will be in the animals that are in the coming kingdom. You know, I hope you understand what I mean there, that the the personality, that's what I mean by when I say spirit, that that personality, that that animal will be the very same one, right? The, the scriptures are silent on that. But we can take comfort that God's way is perfect and best. And we will one day know. And when we do, we will understand. But I also want to read this. Isaiah 11, verse 6. He says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard lie with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. So I guess in the coming kingdom, we're not just going to have pets that are dogs and cats. and But I guess we're going to have adders too. Well, um, my sister-in-law is going to love that because she she loves snakes. <laughs> um, I, no, I'm just I'm just playing here. But this is awesome. The uh, the peace that's going to be in the coming kingdom between animals that so there isn't going to be death there isn't going to be uh, predators or any of that anymore what an amazing time that will be with that kingdom not just we our fallen natures are restored but their fallen natures are restored because remember that's the reason animals are there's death in the animal kingdom and predators because that the fall of mankind caused the fall in creation and in the animal kingdom for that matter then as well. So Lisa, I hope that that helps you. That is the best I can do with what scripture makes available to me. All right. So, okay, guys, we're ending it off here soon. I'm going to 
do one or two questions more. Thank you so much all for joining us here in the chat. I, I hope that you're having a good time. Please uh, send me some a question in the chat. And before I end it off, I'm going to take one right there as well. And um, then uh, we'll, we'll end the night off with that and in prayer. But before I do that, I just want to do one more over here. If I could uh, find it. Um, let me see for the last one. Let's Let's get a good one. Um, okay, this is, uh, this is a really good one. So we see from Janessa and she's from Alberta, Canada, and it's regarding not entering, entering the assembly, the temple because of personal blemishes. Deuteronomy 23 verse one, he that is wounded in the stones. Okay. Let me, let me, let me open it before I. Before I just read it. Okay. He says this. Um, okay, I'm going to go for the King James because that's how she said it, sent it in. He that is wounded in the stones or has his privy, privy member cut off shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. A bastard shall not enter the congregation of the Lord. Even to his 10th generation shall he not enter into the congregation of the Lord. What does all this mean is what's asked. Some people get accidentally injured or are born that way. And children don't have a choice when they are born, how they're born. Thank you for considering my questions and Jesus bless you. Well, thank you, Janessa. May Jesus bless you as well. Now, let me say this. This is a such a good one because it illustrates to us, firstly, the holiness of God. Remember that the temple is the place where the holiness of God dwells. His holy of holies is there. His presence is there. He is there. And nothing that is imperfect, that is and imperf imperfect in terms of not just sin, which that is that is a huge issue, but even imperfect in terms of a brokenness in someone's body, in the flesh. Any imperfection cannot enter his presence because holiness will destroy any imperfection, any fallenness, any uh, fallen nature or consequences of the fall in this world. Because God is not compatible in that way. Like he, and what I mean by that is, let me let me rephrase that. He, when he was on the mountain, he said, "Don't come near the mountain, because you will die." If you come near the mountain, his presence, his holiness was incompatible with the fallen nature of the people at the base of the mountain. And so the same thing here is happening. And and so he is saying you cannot enter the the, the, the temple uh, presence, the, the come come near, let me say, Roger, not necessarily the Holy of Holies only, but coming near because of that holiness. Now that unholiness. Now, here's the beauty of all of this that I think we should really, really recognize is in light of what Yeshua has come to do, we see that he has said, it's good that I leave so the Holy Spirit can come upon you. He's saying, he said to the Samaritan woman, it's not here or there that they will worship me at this or that temple anymore on earth, but I am raising up temples of spirit and truth, a worship of spirit and truth.
In other words, you are now, as Paul writes, living stones, a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that means that, man, like, hold on. I, I mean, you just we just read about the temple, the building, and how we couldn't even come near that if we were had any blemish. Now God is saying, Yeshua is saying, you are the temple, and and there is no exclusion. There's no you have some body part that is broken or hurt or or you have some imperfection even you have you've had sin he's saying i'm dealing with all of that right now in my death burial and resurrection by my sacrifice i'm dealing with it all i'm making you clean and i'm making you not just someone who can approach the temple but i'm making you the temple I am not just making it so that you can approach the spirit, but I am putting the spirit inside of you. Wow. Come on. Hallelujah. And it is by his sacrifice that this can happen. And so the reason that Deuteronomy 23 was given to us was to demonstrate the beauty of his coming sacrifice and what that would do to bring us back to the presence of God and not only to come close to that, but that he can come into us. So, Janessa, I hope that that answers your question. Thank you so much for sending that one in. I'm going to go now as we end off the night and I'm going to... Uh, going uh, to the chat here, uh, Exodus Road Homestead is saying, wow, this is the third time this subject has come up one in one week for us. Well, maybe that's a sign of something. <laughs> Praise God. Holy Spirit is working. Okay, cool. So, yeah, we're we're going to open up in Matthew 20, uh, 24 here. Now, y- yes, okay, the... The key is that he's talking about all... Th- he says, verily I say to you, this generation shall not pass until all these things be fulfilled. What generation is he talking about? That's the question. That's the crutch of this matter. He's talking about the generation in that end times, right? That's the generation he is speaking about. Because remember, that's the context of the chapter. He's saying, Learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Okay, so he's saying when you see the signs of the end, you know that it is here. And in that generation, right, who sees those things will not pass away until those things are fulfilled. All right. So I hope that helps you out. Cool. Uh, guys, thank you so much for joining me. I, I really appreciate you being with us, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would have your hand of protection, Lord, your hand of wisdom over everyone, Lord, who's tuned in, Lord, that you would give us guidance as we study the scriptures, give us understanding, help us to know you. Holy Spirit, come upon us and give us revelation of the deeper things of you. We pray all this in the name of Yeshua. If this has been a blessing to you, consider partnering with the ministry. I want to say a special thank you to all of our partners who make these broadcasts all possible. You're such a blessing to us. You allow us to continue and we love you. Many blessings and shalom to you all.